Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days, you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I looked in my son's eyes, and there wasn't anything there. Nature's deadliest organisms. It just went from a little red spot to bruises in a matter of minutes. They can hijack our bodies. I'm dying here. I don't know what to do. Disable our immune systems. Sometimes, this infection can be fatal. And eat us from within. I didn't know what was wrong. And I couldn't do anything about it. For those infected, they are the monsters inside me. Helen Barden is a sales associate in the sleepy town of Splendora, Texas. A single mom, she lives with her father, Dennis, and her two-year-old daughter, Sakura. Sakura adores my father. She's all about him. She gets so excited every time she sees him. Me and her playing around all the time, going around the floor, and my life has kind of revolved around her since she was two months old yeah. when she came to live here. One fall morning, Dennis is running an errand, leaving Helen and Sakura at home alone. I woke up at 10 o'clock, and I noticed it was really unusual for her not to be up, so I went to go check on her. She was still tangled up in her sheets, just like she normally is. So I started like trying to tickle her, and it was not working. So I checked her breathing, and I actually couldn't see her chest moving. So at that point, I started to panic. Helen calls 911. The 911 operator was telling me to, tilt, to lay her down flat and to tilt her head back, you know, to make sure that there's nothing constricting her airway. She finds nothing blocking Sakura's airways, but does observe something else. I notice that she's really hot. So Helen grabs the thermometer and takes Sakura's temperature. On the thermometer, it came up 
I know that temperatures generally can't go over 104 without frying someone's brain. So, of course, I'm really freaking out even more at this point. Moments later, the paramedics arrive. They go ahead and check it, and their thermometer is coming up 108.7. Temperatures this high can be fatal. So the paramedics rush the ailing girl to the ER. Well, we arrive at the hospital. We get, like, three different nurses come in and a doctor. And all of them, at that point, were still telling me it was a seizure because of the high temperature. So they put some ice packs around her to try to help cool her off. Sakura was still completely unresponsive at this point. She was still not opening her eyes or anything else. I was really confused because I didn't understand how it was happening so fast. So Helen calls her father, Dennis, who rushes to the hospital. Oh, God, I had a million thoughts going through my head when I saw her high temp, uh, the way she looked. My mind says something ain't right. There's something I've never seen this before. I've never, never seen that like this before. My mind says she's going to be brain dead. A temperature that high is an automatic sign for brain dead. To find out what's wrong, doctors run a battery of tests on the little girl. But as they examine Sakura, something catches Helen's eye. We start looking at her, and she starts seeing these little red spots all over her. She had all these little red polka dots coming all over her body, and uh, that they were turning to, like, bruises. It just went from a little red spot to, to bruises in a matter of minutes. I pointed them out to the nurse, and she said that she really wasn't that worried about it. I started asking him, is it the measles? Is it the month? Is it chicken pox? And he kept on saying it isn't, and no, it isn't that. Well, what is wrong with my granddaughter, man? Hours pass, and doctors are still no closer to an explanation for Sakura's condition. I'm incredibly frustrated at this point, so I go out into the hallway looking for one of her doctors, and I told them that I want her to be transferred because I didn't feel like they were doing anything to help my daughter at this point. At a loss to help the ailing child, paramedics place Sakura into an ambulance and take her to a specialized hospital 60 miles away. As soon as we got Sakura into the ambulance, her lungs failed and she stopped breathing. The paramedics kind of pushed me out of the way, and they started putting a breathing tube down her throat. To save Sakura's life, the medics manually pump oxygen into her body. But a few moments later, another symptom strikes. The machines start to buzz and beep, and I ask them what's happening, and they say that her kidneys and liver failed. I started to go back into a state of complete disbelief that all of this was even happening. With Sakura barely clinging to life, the ambulance finally arrives at the hospital. Another team of doctors come, and they immediately take her up to the ICU and tell me I have to go into the waiting room. Doctors immediately place the girl on life support. I'm really starting to freak out. My daughter was genuine scared. And she put her head, hands, her arms around my neck, and she started crying. Daddy, I can't do this. Oh, God, Daddy, I can't do this. And uh, I said, listen, I said, We've, this is hard for all of us. It's harder on you because you're mommy. 
and I was patting on her back, and I was rubbing on her back, and I said, I promise you, I swear to God, I promise you, it's going to be okay. To find out what kind of infection Sakura has, doctors perform a spinal tap. Two hours later, doctors have some bad news for Helen and Dennis. The results of the spinal tap show that she has meningococcal disease brought on by a bacteria. Meningococcal disease is caused by the Neisseria meningitidis bacteria. As the bacteria move through Sakura's bloodstream, they eat the blood cells. White blood cells attack, but the bacteria's protective coating repels them, secreting a trail of potent toxins. The buildup of toxins can lead to organ failure and death. When the Neisseria meningitidis bacterium infects the bloodstream, it can lead to meningococcal sepsis, a condition that destroys the body from inside out. In many cases, the infection sends victims into septic shock, killing them within a matter of hours. My worst fear had come to life. I probably was not going to have my daughter in the morning. I probably wasn't going to have her at all, even through the night. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Two-year-old Sakura Barden has just been diagnosed with the horrific Neisseria meningitidis bacteria. As the infection rages through her system, the chances of survival start to diminish. With time running out, 
Doctors give Sakura a powerful intravenous antibiotic to counteract the deadly bacterium in her body. As she waits by her bedside, Helen wonders how her daughter contracted the infection. I wasn't really understanding how she got it because she doesn't go anywhere. I had asked the doctor, you know, if it was something that maybe she could have gotten by touching the shopping cart or something. And they told me that it was bacteria that people carry in their nose. Typically, the bacteria thrive in the nasal passages and can be transmitted from human to human through coughing and sneezing. In most cases, people with Neisseria meningitidis show no symptoms. But in rare cases, often involving children, the bacteria break through the body's immune defenses, enter the bloodstream, and from there spread throughout the body. To stop the infection, doctors perform a total blood transfusion. Sakura makes it through the next nine days, but the infection does not leave her unscathed. The infection had just gone in too deep. The bruises on her arm were blacker, they were bigger. It looked like burns. It looked like her whole body was one gigantic burn. And they said that the reason that they were turning black is because her skin was literally rotting off of her. Then, almost two weeks after being admitted, Sakura wakes up. I was like, do your fingers hurt? And she said yes. Asked her if her toes hurt. She said yes. The bacteria have done permanent damage. All of her fingers, all of her toes, her kneecap started to just fall off, just like a scab. To stop the infection from spreading even further, the doctors must perform multiple amputations. There was no way to be able to save her fingers or her toes or her left arm. Dennis himself, a war veteran, tries to explain to his granddaughter what will happen. When I was in Nam, I lost part of my hand. And uh, I cut a piece of strap and whacked off my arm. I was cut my arm in half. And uh, it left me with a club claw hand. I sat on Sakura's bed and I said, Sakura, granddad loves you. And uh, she says, uh huh. I says, uh, you know what happened to granddaddy's hand? And she says, uh huh. I says, uh, you're going to have a hand like granddaddy, okay? And she kind of looked at her hand and then looked at mine. I said, you know that granddaddy loves you so much. And if Granddad could give you his hand, he would. Doctors wheel Socorro into the OR. The surgeons take a grueling 13 hours to perform the amputation, finally ridding Socorro of the dreaded Neisseria bacteria. As soon as I saw her arm, I kind of lost it. I started crying, and I was really upset by it. It's another six months before Sakura is well enough to return home. She's her own little individual person. Her little arm is gone, and she acts like there's nothing to be bothered with. It's, it's okay. Today, she stands and crawls on her own. Sakura is doing really, really good. She can walk as long as she holds on to something, and she does everything on her own. She's extremely independent. But on public, people tend to stare at her, so she won't do too much around a lot of people. Sakura completely beat the odds on everything. Sakura is an inspiration, 
in her little mind, she can do this. She did it before, and she's going to do it again. And that's what she does. Every year in the U.S., some 1,500 cases of meningococcal disease are reported. At greatest risk are children under the age of five. Those affected can experience long-term disabilities, such as deafness, loss of limbs, or brain damage. And in 11% of cases, it's fatal. One way to prevent the spread of the disease is through the use of meningococcal vaccines. For those already infected, early diagnosis is vital. Don Church and his wife, Gayla, live in the small town of Linwood, Washington, just outside of Seattle. We've been married for 18 years. Don has his own business. He does home maintenance. Gayla is a retired business manager, while Don continues to work as a home and office contractor. Well, I'm, I'm pretty active. My, I tell people my work is my gym membership. But toward the end of the summer, Gayla notices something odd about her husband. I noticed Don was gaining weight when his belly was sticking out more than usual. He doesn't drink beer or he doesn't overeat, so it was just really unusual that he'd be gaining weight. It just felt really hard, and it didn't feel normal. So Gayla urges Don to see his doctor. When I talked to the doctor, I had more of a beer gut than I knew what to do with here, and so... I was a little more concerned myself. He said, there is a mass growing in your abdomen. Chances are it's cancerous. But we won't know until we take it out. Oh my gosh, I've got cancer. Now I'm, I'm thinking, cancer? That's, at my age, what's going to happen? Am I going to lose him? It was scary for me to think, what's going to happen for us in the future? Are we going to be okay? I'm scared at this point. A few days later, Don undergoes emergency surgery to remove the growing mass in his abdomen. I'm praying to God and praying that the surgeon knows what he's doing. When the doctors cut Don open, they make an alarming discovery. When I woke up on the hospital bed, they told me I had a 13-pound tumor. I went, wow, that's the size of a bowling ball. Couldn't believe it. It was such a relief to have that out. The doctor told us it was growing in him for at least a year. The 13-pound tumor removed from Don's body was indeed cancerous. But Don's prognosis is good, and doctors think he will not need chemotherapy, just plenty of rest. But his ordeal is far from over. In fact, it's only just begun. When I was leaving the hospital and I went from the wheelchair into the car, I had excruciating pain. Any movement I had was agonizing. I thought it was just, you know, probably the stitches expanding, but it was worse than that. It was like, ah, what is going on? Well, I was scared because we were in the car, I was driving. We went over a few bumps. He would make this painful noise. The doctor told us he's going to have a slow recovery, and but, uh, you know, in a week's time, he should be fine. But back home, Don's recovery doesn't go smoothly. In fact, the pain starts to spread. I woke up one morning. 
I got to the bathroom, and suddenly this pain in my lower back just started to flare up just right when I sat down. And I'd like, oh, man, what is this? And this would happen in a course of one week, three or four days, pain in the chest. Three or four days, pain in the abdomen. What's going on here? It just kept going back and forth, and I couldn't get out of that pain. Gayla calls the hospital to tell them about Don's pain. But the nurses insist that what he's experiencing is just a natural part of the recovery process and that he just needs time to heal. But the next morning, Don discovers something scary. When I got out of the shower, I was looking at my my chest in the mirror. When I noticed there was a lump over on my side here, and I could feel it, and it was hard. And I, whoa, what is that? Is that what's been causing all the pain? I don't know what that, is that the cancer? So Don and Gayla returned to the hospital for a follow-up appointment. I asked the doctor about this lump below my chest. The doctor reaches over and pushes on that lump. I immediately feel a pain down in my abdomen, and I'm going, ah, what is that? And he stops pushing on it and looks at me and says, that's the scar tissue. After the doctor reassures them that the pain is a normal part of the recovery process, the couple returns home. For the next two weeks, as Don tries to resume his life, even the simplest tasks become difficult. Don's not the type of guy to just sit around the house. He has to do something. He's a very hard worker. It's been about five weeks, and so I thought, if I just go back to work and start focusing on my job, that that pain, I can work my way through it. So Don gets ready to go back to work. I'm putting on my work clothes, but I've got to lean down and put my boots on. That's when I still feel this agonizing pain. So I've got to go down on one knee, feel around for my shoestrings, and tie it without too much pain. And I, it became a like a real challenge. If I can just get this done and stand up, I'm making it to work. Don continues to struggle on until one day he reaches his breaking point. I hear a scream, and I go in the bathroom. When I open the door, and he's he's there. He's he's very pale. He's sweating. I thought he could die. I got down on the floor and sobbing. I thought, this is the breaking point. I'm not getting better. I gave up. I'm dying here. I don't know what to do. He's on the floor. He's rolled up in a ball, and he's just in pain. I don't know what to do for him. Don and Gayla are desperate for answers. They immediately make an appointment to see their family physician, a trusted friend, Dr. Robert Morgan. When Don came into the office, he would walk in a way that he was trying to keep pressure off of, off of his abdomen. He appeared to be healing normally on the outside, but on the inside, he apparently wasn't healing normally. And that was the puzzling part of the problem. Dr. Morgan sends Don in for an x-ray. When he reviews the images, he makes a horrifying discovery. I was startled. 
It was uh, so unusual, I, I couldn't believe my eyes. Well, he comes back with an x-ray and says, there's definitely something wrong with you. Dr. Morgan finally has the answer. And he shows us these x-rays. And oh my God, there's this long instrument inside of him. I was in shock and I couldn't believe it. Inside Don's body is a 13-inch long surgical retractor. A retractor is an instrument used to hold back tissue and organs during surgery. It seems that during the removal of his tumor, the surgeons have accidentally left the retractor inside Don's body. It was very big. It extended fully from the lower part of his pelvis all the way up under his ribs over the top of his liver. As Don would move, this object would migrate around his abdomen as well. This piece of metal could have cut through part of the bowel. It could have cut into some of the great vessels, causing him to bleed out instantly. It was a potentially fatal situation. I mean, it's 13 inches long. These are professionals. I put my life in their hands. Now I know why that pain was so bad, because I was pressing against it, but is it going to cut me open? Am I bleeding inside? Oh, I am just on pins and needles. Six days later, Don goes to a different hospital to have the retractor removed from his body cavity. <laughs> now I'm scared again, because now something could actually happen. This was more nerve-wracking for me because I felt like Don's life was in stake. After the surgery, I woke up and the surgeon told me that he just removed a 13-inch long stainless steel bendable retractor from my body. After the surgery, the surgeon handed me the retractor in this plastic bag, and I was so relieved and so happy that I gave the surgeon a hug. And Don feels the effects immediately. This surgery was pain-free. No, no pain medication, nothing. I was just so happy to be home, walking, being able to eat, doing my normal, everything. It was like, life is good. It's estimated that as many as one in 9,000 surgeries ends with a medical instrument inadvertently left inside the patient's body. The risks associated with this kind of medical error range from infection to organ damage, and in some cases, death. Standards recently set in place by some medical associations require a manual count of all instruments before and after open cavity surgeries. But not even this practice is entirely foolproof. In incidents where surgical instruments were left behind inside a patient, 88% of hospital staff wrongly reported accurate instrument counts. Some institutions even take x-rays of the patient after surgery to prove that nothing has been left behind. I looked in my son's eyes, and there wasn't anything there. I didn't know what was wrong, and I couldn't do anything about it. I'm now very alarmed. The Lewis family lives in Arlington, Texas. Jeremy works in corporate sales, and his wife Julie is a corporate accountant. They are the proud parents of two children, 11-year-old Peyton and 7-year-old Kyle. 
our family is incredibly active. We've got more stuff going on in a family of four than a lot of families that are bigger than us. The Lewis family enjoys playing baseball together. But in the hot summer months, they travel to their vacation home near Lake Granbury, Texas. We're at the lake house all the time. Jeremy's family lives out there, and it's a beautiful place. The kids jump off the dock. Um, they swim, try and snorkel some. After a hot summer weekend vacationing at the lake house, they return home to Arlington. After that last family trip to the lake, uh, it was time to come home, uh, wind down, but wind right back up for school. But we also had to gear up for baseball, too. And during the first week of school, Kyle plays his first scrimmage game. I'm looking at my son on the pitcher's mound, and he's just beaming ear to ear. That was the minute when I said, hold on, I think I got myself a ball player. But Jeremy also notices something unusual about that afternoon. I actually noticed as he came in from inning to inning, there was a little bit more sweat and perspiration. There wasn't really a whole lot of concern but as a coach, you know, you see your kid out there, he's given it 110%. You think it's just from what he's doing on the field. After the baseball game, Kyle was great. He was in good mood, and he went to bed about 8.30. Around 5 a.m. that morning, Kyle came to my bedside crying. He had a headache. So I got out of bed, and we went to check his temperature. He had a fever. She gave him some medicine. Uh, put a wet cloth on his head, and he went back to sleep. That morning, he got up, and his head was still hurting. Excruciating pain on and off. It seemed to last for 30 to 40 minutes. At that point, Julie and I made the decision to go ahead and keep him out of school because he had still had a little bit of a fever. Throughout that day, Kyle's temperature would go up and down. It never went back to normal. He would cry, and he'd lay his head on my shoulder. I never thought it was something very serious because he just wanted to sleep it off. A few hours later, the family sits down for lunch. Maybe I could, you know, help him feel a little bit better by getting his favorite meal. He loves nuggets. But 15 minutes after we had the nuggets, that was the first time that he had thrown up. As a dad sitting there watching your all-star kid on the couch not feeling well, uh, there's a lot of concern and their concern increases as Kyle vomits three more times throughout the day. Nothing was changing. Nothing was getting better. He had still had a fever. My kids have never been this sick. This was unusual. Um, we didn't know what we were getting into. Uh, I didn't know why my child was this sick. Later on that night, we came to the decision to take Kyle to the hospital at Cook Children's Medical Center in Fort Worth, Texas, the nurses examined Kyle. Because of Kyle's headache and his fever and, and his vomiting, the doctors immediately thought it could possibly be meningitis. Meningitis is an inflammation of the tissues that surround the brain. It can be caused by an array of microorganisms, including bacteria, viruses, fungi, or parasites. If left untreated, it can be deadly. Hearing that he might have meningitis, I was in shock. Doctors admit Kyle to the pediatric ICU and perform a spinal tap. Kyle's spinal fluid results are inconclusive for meningitis, 
but doctors do find something else. He's got an elevated white blood cell count. They thought it best that they monitor him for 23 hours. They're running all of these tests on him. Still, you have no idea what's going on. You have no idea what these tests are saying. They always said it was something odd about it, though. Um, it wasn't a clear and cut case. The next morning, Kyle's condition seems to have stabilized. But there is one bizarre symptom that still puzzles Jeremy and Julie. He would get very anxious. He wouldn't let us go, um, wouldn't let me get out of bed with him at times. And it wasn't just a kid who wants to be with his mommy. It was, he was anxious, um, nervous about things. Something's a little off that it's not supposed to be happening quite this way. So the doctor comes in, informs us that it's just the body taking its, doing what it's supposed to be doing. This is completely normal. 24 hours later, Jeremy and Julie notice Kyle's condition makes a turn. Saturday morning, Kyle woke up um, pretty early, uh, probably around six o'clock. He was smiling and laughing. Um, we talked. He seemed to be doing a little better. He was eating, he was awake, he was talking to us, so we all had a positive outlook. The doctor came in and thought Kyle could possibly go home. So that was great news to us. Jeremy prepares for Kyle's release. I actually left the hospital to get different medications, you know, just general stuff to, to take home with you to help your kid recover. But as he walks back to the car with medical supplies, he gets a frantic phone call from Julie. This is the first time that, that there's really true concern for Kyle in Julie's voice. She was crying. The anxiety attacks got worse, um, got very scary. Kyle went from eating and smiling to screaming and then looking at me and asking what that noise was. He would kick and yell and hit, but then two seconds later apologize for it and say he was sorry he didn't know. In the background, I could hear Kyle. There was a moaning or a screaming behind Julie's voice. At this point, I'm out the door and I'm headed to the hospital. As I get up to the floor, the doors open and I round the corner. I hear Kyle from the background start screaming. And it's a, uh, a horrifying scream that you would get in a movie. I run down the hall and he's going into one of these seizures and he would scream. He would kick and yell and hit, but then two seconds later apologize for it. And Kyle looks up and he goes, did you guys hear that? Over the next 30 minutes, Kyle has a series of uncontrollable seizures. And for now, doctors have no answers as to why they're happening. He kept asking me, what's wrong, mommy, what's wrong? But it wasn't my son. It wasn't my son. I was scared. I looked in my son's eyes. And there wasn't anything there. Dr. Warren Marks is the physician charged with overseeing Kyle's case. When I was called, the concern was that he had this rapidly changing mental status. So the first thing to do is to uh, quickly assess Kyle and figure out what was going on. 
They rushed us to CAT scan. It was important to know if there was bleeding uh, into the brain or if there was some mass inside the brain, like a tumor, because that would totally change our management. Dr. Marks studies the images. There was uh, a great deal of swelling on the brain and a great deal of pressure that had been built up. I'm now very alarmed. Doctors medically induced Kyle into a coma to protect his breathing in case of another seizure. It was the first time in several hours that my boy looked peaceful. He looked like he, he was just laying there. He was asleep. An hour later, Dr. Marks re-examines Kyle's spinal fluid. And the findings are devastating. It became clear that this was not a bacteria, this was not a virus, that this was indeed primary amoebic encephalitis caused by Nagleria falleri. Nagleria falleri is a single-celled parasitic organism nicknamed the brain-eating amoeba. The amoeba has attacked Kyle's brain cells by first puncturing the cell membrane and then feeding on the contents that leak out. The body's immune system responds by generating an inflammatory response causing the brain itself to swell. As the brain expands, it pushes against the inside of the skull, resulting in headaches, seizures, and eventually death. Nagleria falleri infections are very rare in the United States. Since 2001, only 32 cases have been reported. But while the parasite is extremely uncommon, it is among the deadliest on the planet, killing 98% of its victims. The brain is surrounded by a membrane called the blood-brain barrier. As well as keeping foreign organisms out of the brain, it also keeps many of the body's immune defenses at bay. So if an attacker does make it into the brain, it's very hard for the body to get it out. This is like parachuting behind enemy lines. It's much more difficult for the body to mount an adequate response. This wasn't supposed to be happening. It wasn't supposed to be happening. Not to us, not to Kyle. <laughs> to reduce the swelling in Kyle's brain, doctors administer a powerful intravenous antibiotic. From the get-go, this became uh, a full-court press to save Kyle's life. You know, we're praying and we're asking, please, please just let him recover from this. But how did Kyle contract this deadly parasite? Nagleria falleri infections occur mainly during the summer months of July, August, and September in the southern states. The amoeba lies dormant in the sediment on the bottom of freshwater lakes and ponds, and as the water starts to warm, the amoeba becomes more active. Nagleria falleri infects humans when water containing the parasite is forced up into the nasal passages, often as the result of playing water sports. Once inside the body, the parasite passes through the semi-porous tissue of the nasal cavity and travels to the brain. The week prior, Kyle had been swimming. Uh, we had taken that vacation and he swam all week long in a lake and in a river. And we had no idea there was some amoeba in the water that could harm our kids. In the hospital, doctors keep Kyle on an EEG machine and monitor his brain activity through the night. Early the next morning, Jeremy and Julie wake up by Kyle's bedside. I remember hearing a doctor say, I don't know who it was, but he said, this isn't good, people. I sat up, I got up, and I walked around the bed, and I looked at the EEG machine. And where before it was going crazy, now it's just flat lines. 
And I remember looking at Dr. Marks, the neurologist, and I asked him, I said, my baby's brain dead, isn't he? He said, yeah, he is. We had lost this battle with Kyle. There's no harder process in medicine than uh, telling a parent that their child uh, is going to die. And I begged, and I prayed. It's just so helpless, you know? The family arranges for a chaplain to baptize Kyle. And at 11 a.m. in the morning, doctors take Kyle off life support. Since Kyle passed, we are very strong together, and I'm very thankful for Jeremy and Peyton. They keep me going every day. But there's a huge void for all of us. Kyle did more in his seven years of life than I can imagine to do in a lifetime. Kyle's zest and love for life amazing. He was on fire. He was an angel before he was an angel. And Julie and I left the hospital without our son and started the new chapter of our life, which is parents to the two most beautiful kids in the world and only being able to tuck one in at night. It sucks. To reduce the chances of becoming infected, be cautious when swimming in warm lakes or ponds, especially during the summer in the southern U.S. Always observe warning signs near bodies of water potentially infected with Nigleria fowleri. And those who do engage in water sports might consider nose plugs when playing in untreated waters. For more blood-curdling monsters and their hideous habits, visit our website, animalplanet.com slash monstersinsideme. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.